Let's pray. Help us then, Father, now to see such wonder, see such glory in the person of your Son, that we would want to do just that, spread his praise abroad and give to him the glory that he alone deserves. And we ask it, Father, in his name. Amen. Picture this. Glenn Shrivener says, a woman wakes up on a space station. She has no memory, no idea who she is, where she's from, or why she's there. And then she realizes that she's not alone. There's Doc. He doesn't know what to think, but he's a scientist. So he starts observing the design of the spacecraft. Everything's just right. It stands to reason they're actually providing for us. Someone wants us here. Then there's hope. She looks out at the stars in awe. She sees purpose in all that's happening. She can't tell you why, but she's hopeful. But Sasha, she's unmoved. That's a good thing? Someone wants us here? How do you know? She's not convinced by Doc and his reasons. She's not convinced by hope and her optimism. She's just not convinced. While Hope, Doc, and Sasha are arguing, a new possibility opens up. A ship docks. The space station shudders, the airlock opens, and a man appears. He's out of breath. Doc asks, how? The man says, long story. Hope says, where have you come from? The man says, home. Sasha asks, who are you? And the man says, I'm the rescue. Now here's the question, Shrivener asks. Does the entrance of this man change the conversation? Well, as I'm sure you all worked out, the space station represents Earth. And the three people, Hope, Doc and Sasha, they represent the different ways in which people try to work out the world and the purpose in it, if there is a purpose at all. But left to ourselves, it's all just guesswork, isn't it, at best? Christmas reminds us, though, that in fact the airlock has opened and that rescue has arrived, that God has not left us to ourselves. The rescuer has come. Christmas proclaims we are not alone to work things out because God has come to us. The Word, the Word who is God, became flesh, John tells us, and he made his dwelling among us. He, he pitched his tent, he tabernacled among us down here on planet Earth. And in the passage we're going to look at really quickly today, we're going to see that actually the wonder doesn't just stop there. Because Jesus not only gives us certainty about who God is, Jesus gives us hope in view of what God is like. Verse 14 again, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. 
Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1 says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And what was that glory like? For those with eyes to see, what did they see? And with those who had ears to hear, what did they hear? As they got up close and personal with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, John tells us here, doesn't he, that his glory was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That's what his glory was like. And so as I try in these brief few minutes to unfold a a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of that grace and truth. I want us to be asking ourselves, has that grace and truth changed me from the inside out? Because it is such grace and it is such truth that when you see it, you can never be the same again. It changes everything. So what was it like? Well, it was full of grace. Number one, full of grace. C.S. Lewis was once asked the question, what makes Christianity different to all of the other world religions? And he answered with one word, grace. Grace, because each of the world's religions, they offer offer a pathway to God that involves us working our way up to him. Maybe that involves a, a, a pilgrimage, to a, a holy site or praying the right number of prayers a day or, or giving uh, X number of your income to the poor or knocking on X number of doors to make X number of proselytes or, or it, it might look committing yourself to a, a sacramental system in a particular church where you get out the, 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 the extent to which you put in. And in the final analysis, if you've complied to the best of your ability, and if all of your good works outweigh your bad works, then God will accept you. When we lived in the, the States every Christmas time, uh, the church that we went to, they, we would host this Christmas meal for our neighbors over at the local mosque. And there would be a, a, there'd be a message about the true meaning of Christmas. And then there would be a time of Q&A for us to interact with their questions afterwards as well. And then at Ramadan, uh, they, they'd return the favor. So they, they'd host us all at the mosque and there'd be a message there from the imam. And then after the time of fasting had uh, uh, broken for that particular day, we would all eat together. And I remember one of the members of our church asked the imam after his uh, message to us, but how can we know though whether God will accept us in the end? And he answered that question with two words, we can't, we can't. Now why was that true for him? Well, that was true for him because for him, a person can never know whether he or she has done enough to be accepted by God and earn enough, do enough good deeds to earn peace with him. But you see, wonderfully, Christianity is the total and the complete opposite. Because Christianity declares God is a God of saving grace. Grace being God's undeserved loving favor to us in Christ. And that actually the the reality is, the true picture of the situation is, because of our sin, we could never earn favor with God. 
Uh, We can never do enough to be at peace with God, but that instead, God has done everything necessary for us to be accepted freely in Christ Jesus. And then instead of us working our way up to God, God has come down to us. And God has made up the distance. Not 80-20, not 90-10, but 100% zero. Why? Because he loves us. Because God loves sinners. That's why. And the glory of that grace was on full display in the person of the word Jesus Christ. Jesus received sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus forgave sinners. In fact, Jesus loved sinners so much he came all the way from heaven to earth to take them from earth to heaven again. And he loved them so much that he swapped the throne for the manger and heaven for the hell of the cross of Calvary. And there on the cross of Calvary, Jesus endured everything that we deserve to endure so that we could experience everything he deserves to experience. The infinite love and acceptance of God the Father. That's a swap and a half. That's the great substitution of the gospel of Christ. That is grace. Free, glorious, powerful, saving grace. Grace upon grace. Like one wave upon another wave on top of another wave on top of another wave of God's undeserved, ill-deserved, loving favor to sinners. And surely the best illustration of that is when Jesus was on the cross itself. We read this, that one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Had he earned it? No. Did he deserve it? No. But where did he find himself upon closing his eyes in death? He found himself in paradise with God. Because of grace upon grace. So therefore, friend, listen, you don't need to earn this salvation any more than my children had to pay for their gifts this morning. We didn't write any IOUs. We didn't have a a Google Sheets document keeping track of all the prices. We didn't keep the receipts. No, it was just a free gift from us to them. And Jesus said, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven and therefore what you need to do today is just receive this gift of grace like a child receives their gifts on Christmas morning can your hands be empty can your hands be outstretched can you receive something freely then friend you can be saved because of grace so what was Jesus glory like well it was full of grace 
And then it was also full of truth, wasn't it? Second of all, that is Jesus' glory revealed the truth about who God is. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You remember that situation in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament where Moses said to God, Please show me your glory. And he, God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he, Moses said, uh, but he, rather, God said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. Then later in the next chapter we read, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who God is. And all of God's infinite being was wrapped up in flesh and human skin And placed in our world for man to be around. 1 John 5.20 says this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So would we view his highest glory? Here it shines in Jesus' face. You want to know how glorious God is? Look at that homeless carpenter from Nazareth and you'll see him. Do you know what the great challenge of uh, preaching on Christmas morning is that it is really, really hard to keep people's attention. So the children are thinking about the presents they just opened a bit a few minutes ago. Uh, maybe the adults are thinking about the Christmas dinner and getting it just right. And the, the grown-ups are also wondering whether Hugh's going to preach one of those Pharaoh sermons where he won't let God's people go. <laughs> and, when you, and when you think about it, there really is, there really is something to that, isn't there? Because what I mean is this, it really is hard to treasure God when you're treasuring so many other things as well. It's hard to keep it all in your hands. But if we'll treasure our merciful, gracious, patient, relentlessly loving, faithful God poured into the body of Christ, we'll be satisfied on the days when there are plenty like today and on the days when there's much less around. Why? Because we'll have him. And he's enough. And if you have him and nothing at all, you've got more than the universe itself. Because his glory is infinite. So for them, friend, do you, do you know him like that? Is he, is he real to you like that? That's my loving challenge for us today. Treasure Christ now 
so that you'll have enough on the days of plenty and on the days of lack because you'll have him. Enjoy, savor, delight yourself in him and have all that you need because his glory is enough. Amen. Let me pray.